0: we have the privilege to start a brand new series, nine parts. (laughs) Hallelujah. It is titled Empowerment for Fruitfulness. If you look throughout the year, we have been looking at the word of fruitfulness in different ways, foundations for fruitfulness, and uh, all the likes. And um, this is Empowerment for Fruitfulness. And we'll be looking at nine parts. Everything is coming from the book of John chapter five, actually from verse one to six. But Throughout these nine weeks, we'll be reading as our Bible reading, John chapter 5, verse 1 to 17, just to help us to get an insight into this very important aspect of the words of Jesus and why we should engage and how we should engage in our time. So the first session is titled The True Vine. This was the very first thing we read about Jesus' words in that place. So in this new series, our study will be to focus on the provisions of fruitfulness by God for those who are sanctified. The provisions of fruitfulness for the sanctified. You see, Jesus said something in Acts 1:8. Don't turn to it. You know, it is a very foundational scripture for us as a people, as a church. All our four vision objectives we have brought out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, And you, if I emphasize the pure, the holy, the sanctified, the called out ones, that's where we got purity. He said, and you shall receive power. He said that's where we got the word of power because he said they shall receive the power and he said and you shall be witnesses and that is where we got the word for purpose the purpose for which we receive the, the calling and the power is to be witnesses so we are given purpose every one of us fulfills that purpose in different ways some of us are, you know into different aspects of ministry and also in the vocational life or what we call the marketplace we are involved in different things, so we are empowered to be witnesses in those places also. And then he said, and we shall be witnesses to him in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, which talks about the word of prosperity, the word expanding. Uh, the Bible says that my city's true prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. So that is how we have those four Ps. Uh, I didn't just sleep one day and felt, I, did, I like these four words, P, 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 P. No, I read that scripture and God gave me a breath of fresh air into it in the year, very, very early in the year 2013, and uh, when this church was about to be commissioned later on that year. So Jesus said to them that they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. However, just before he, uh, you know, gave that promise, as he was preparing to go to the cross, he gave some very, very detailed instructions that were not only applicable to those disciples, the disciples of that day, but are things for us as well. Because Jesus said in John chapter 16 and 17, when he was praying for them, he said, I do not only pray for these, but for others also, which means he was not just praying for those people he was looking at, Peter, James, John, Matthew, all of them, but that for others who are coming, which includes you and I, so he began to prepare them for how they will maintain relationship with him after he had left. Don't forget, up to this time in John, we're about to read John 15, but I'll just keep quickly give you a snapshot. Up to that time, they, were, they saw him every day. They were with him. They were everywhere with him. And then suddenly they discovered, he, 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 he started to tell them that he would leave them and go to prepare a place for them and so on. And so, of course, fear would set him. He was their protector. He was their leader. He was their inspiration. He was the one who told them answers to things they always asked questions for. So he was, you know, uh, they, they, they were kind of worried. So he was giving words that were very essential to their continued existence after he left them physically. So these are very important truths. In John 13, he taught them to be united and how to be humble. He told them that you would need to serve one another. He taught them how to wash one another's feet and so on, that they would need to be servants. He also told them that Judas was going to betray him. He said, one of you here will betray me. And uh, of course, he was talking about Judas. He told them about his departure and also that Peter was going to deny him. And so many things in John chapter 13 that pointed to the fact that his going was sure. There was no doubt about it. And to crown it all, in John 14, verse 1, he said, in my father's house are many mansions. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Because he could see that they were starting to be troubled. They were starting to be worried and concerned. Our master is leaving. What are we going to do? You know, those days, uh, those of us that schooled in places where we went to boarding school, in secondary school, were usually around about age 10, 11. I was 10, when I, 11, when I went into boarding school. Uh, but, uh, you know, most people went in my age time. They went in at age 13-ish, about 12, 13. They were going into boarding school. So you're still very young. And I remember very well that uh, one of the things that our parents would do is they would sit us down and lecture us about life how we should keep our money, because we've never left home, it's the first time, we've. and some of us went as far as 700 miles away, so they would tell us how to keep our money, how to be sure that we are focused, you know, my father will always say, make sure you go to fellowship, read your Bible, pray, you know, that was his mantra, read your Bible, pray, go to fellowship, read your Bible, pray, and uh, my mom would lecture me about life, you know, don't go partying, don't join bad gang, and so on and so forth. And they will tell you all those things and prepare you. And you find that somehow when you traveled, as you started the journey, the moment you got on that train, that bus, that plane, whatever it is you took, those words will start to ring in your mind. And then when you go for those 90 days for the term, it guides you. They guide you. Words of Papa, words of Mama. You will remember, Dad said, don't do this. You know, you're about to take a decision. You just hear that voice say, remember, don't do this. Remember, this is where you should go. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing. Telling these disciples of his that they should be prepared. That there would be perilous times. There would be trouble. There would be persecutions. He said, but let not your heart be troubled. Tell neighbor for me, let not your heart be troubled. Because Jesus is still saying the same thing today. Today, today. There is still things trying to trouble the people of God. The heart of the people of God. There are cares, anxieties, fears concerns, worries, but he said, let not your heart be troubled, but he didn't just say to them, let not your heart be troubled, he said, in my father's house, John 14:1, there are many mansions, and I am going there to prepare a place for you, he said, if it were not so, I would not have told you so, so keep in your view every time, the fact that one day you will leave this earth, But as he went on speaking to them in John 16, verse 33, he said to them, in this world there will be tribulations, but do what? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome. So he gave them the blueprint of the fact that they must keep the heavenly mansions in view every time, but also be confident that he will continue to give them victory through the challenges here. And so believers must understand this because it helps us to run our race much more effectively. And then in John chapter 15, he now began to tell them something about his person. This is very, very vital. And I'm going to read the first five verses very quickly. We have read John 15, verse 1 to 17 for this service. Uh, Pastor Lola led us earlier on, if you are just joining online or you are just coming. But we'll read the first five verses now, and I want to just concentrate really on verse 1 today. In John 15, verse 1, he said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Some translation says, My father is the husbandman, so the one who owns the vine. I am the true vine, but my father basically owns the vine. He said, Every branch in me, verse two, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. We'll be dealing with that next week, as the topic for next week is living branches. And then we'll be looking at how what Jesus meant here. And how the vine dresser does that. And then in verse 3, which we'll deal with in two weeks' time by the grace of God. He said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So we'll look at the word that sanctifies. And then verse 4, he said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot. Somebody said the branch cannot. He didn't say may not. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless... Somebody say, unless. So these are strong words used by Jesus Christ. These are not optional. And we are we are coming into we are in a generation now that is raising all kinds of brands of Christianity that is speaking and dumbing down some of these very vital truths. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you do what? You abide in me. So the emphasis there is about him being the true vine. And then verse 5. Let's read verse 5 together. Again, one of the things we'll do in this series. But let's read it together. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I would like us to remember throughout this series four things. Somebody say divine. Divine dresser. The branches and the fruit. These four things, we'll be talking about them. And as we move from which one to which one, you need to be shifting your mind to know we are the branches, settled. But we must always remember, Jesus said, I am the true vine. So when we talk about the vine, we talk about Jesus Christ and everything he represents. Then the vine dresser, God the Father himself. Because he said, my father is the vine dresser. He said, any branch in me that bears fruit, my father will prune it so that it bears more fruit. So there is also the fruit. So we will be talking about this interchangeably. So this series titled Empowerment for Fruitfulness is really for us to understand some very deep truths that Jesus shared with his disciples in John chapter 15 from verse 1 right down to verse 17 that we will be, read, we'll be reading. So when he said, I am the vine in John 15, 1, what he's saying is that he's giving one of the seven I ams. Jesus called himself seven times. He said, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. Seven times, just recorded in the book of John alone. And this is important. This likened him to God. This is one of the evidences that he gave very strongly about how he and his father are one. We understand from scripture that God said to Moses for the first time, I am that I am. I am that I am. Those words mean he is the one that was. He is the one that is. And he is the one that is to come. The same characteristics of God is found in Jesus. Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 the Bible says Christ who is the same yesterday, today and forever. John 1, 1 said in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and then the word became flesh verse 14 and dwelt amongst us so the word is not 6,000 years old he is not 3,000 years old so the world is from the foundations of the earth before it through time and after time and the seven things that Jesus said, I am, are uh, they encapsulate the thousands of names that God was named in the Old Testament. Whether you call him Jehovah Jireh, or El Shaddai, or Elion, or Jehovah Mekedesh, the one who sanctifies us. Every one of the seven names of Christ are embodied. The Bible says, for in him dwells the fullness of God bodily. So when God called Moses to go and reach his people, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, this is when Moses was wondering what he would say to the people when he gets to see them. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Don't forget, Moses himself knew something about his call. Refused to suffer. for He refused to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. Chose instead to suffer. He knew that there was a call of God upon his life, but he himself was trying to discover that God. <laughs> so he is asking, what is his name? If he knew the name at that time, he would have just said back to him, Oh Lord, I am going to... Uh, I, I will go and do what you've called me to do. He would have just done that and gone. <laughs> but he knew that it was good for him to ask. He said, what is his name? He said, what will I say? Then, verse 14. Let's read verse 14 together. Everybody, Exodus 3, verse 14. Exodus 3:14. Let's go. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel what I am has sent me to you. This is very vital for us. When Jesus was speaking and uh, he was trying to make them understand that he was the same with the father, they said to him that Abraham, were, that you are talking about our father Abraham, that he is much older than you, that you were not even born when he was here. <laughs> In John chapter 8 from verse 56, Jesus said to them, John eight fifty-six. Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Verse 57. The Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Somebody say logic. They were following logic. They counted his age. How can you be talking about Abraham who lived 2,000 years before you? He said, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Everybody (laughs) let's read verse 58 together. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, uh, he didn't say I was, Uh -uh. because I was trivializes the whole thing. That means that there is potential that is no longer. (laughs) When you say I I was, then you know, I was here, that means the potential is that you are not coming back there. So he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. Uh -uh. So when you are preaching it those days, he said before Abraham was. (laughs) He said, before Abraham was, I what? I am. I am. I am. Because that is the God nature that they carry. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit you saw in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 that was hovering upon the face of the deep. In verse, verse Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 and verse 3. The same Holy Spirit that was from the foundation before the earth was formed is the same word that was spoken, the same Father. So the trinity, the the subject of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit must never be confused. So this I am the true vine in John chapter 15 verse 1 is one of the very essential seven I am's that Jesus spoke about. And I'll quickly run through the other six. We have done some series on this. We will keep doing because they are so vital. John chapter 6 verse 35. Write that down. He said, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse 9, I'll take it again from the top. John chapter 6, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8 and uh, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He said, anyone that follows me, even though he was in darkness, he shall have the light of life. John chapter 10, verse 9, he said, I am the door or I am the gate. He said anyone that comes into me he will come in and then go out and find pasture that is everything that comprises the god-like nature of jehovah jireh everything that is talking about provision is wrapped in that Jesus' declaration of himself as the gate and he said i am the good shepherd the el shaddai the all-sufficient one He said a good shepherd would lay down his life for his sheep. This is John chapter 10 and verse 11. And then John 11, I've given you four now. What's the first one? I am the bread of life. Number two, I am the light of the world. Number three, I am the gate or the door. Number four, I am the good shepherd. That's John chapter 10 verse 11, which I've just said. Then John chapter 11, after... Jesus Christ reached the tombstone of Lazarus. Very fantastic story. Four days dead and these people were wondering, how can this man come back to life? And he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone is in me, even though he were dead, he shall rise up again. Hallelujah. So John chapter 11 verse 44 said, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John chapter sorry, John chapter 11 verse 25, said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, John chapter 14 verse 6, you should know that one by now. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you look at these six I am's, before he said, I am the true vine. If you look at these six I am's very well, he was preparing them. For what he was about to score, to, re, to reveal to them in John chapter 15. He was preparing them step by step to understand that he was the bread of life, which is the very first thing that man is concerned about food, food. He said, don't be concerned, don't labor for the meat that perishes. He said, I am the bread of life. When you believe me, what you have is not just physical bread. First thing you have is the spiritual bread. The satisfaction of your soul. The thing that takes away the void that ordinary food cannot, uh, cannot address. When you have that, then you will be able to understand how it is to even have the physical bread as well. You remember when Satan was trying to tempt him in Mark 4 and Matthew 4. When Satan was trying to tempt him. Jesus said, quoting from Deuteronomy 6, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, the bread of life. Man shall live by the bread of life, not by physical bread. So he said, don't be laboring for that kind of bread, the meat that perishes. Don't let your focus, now that you are in me, don't let your focus be on that kind of bread. I wouldn't want to waste too much time on those things, but they are so important. He began to reveal to them the the fact that he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. If there is darkness, confusion, and hopelessness, he is the one that illuminates. The Bible says your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The word, the word, the word. So a Christian must not be somebody who gropes in darkness, who gropes in confusion, who gropes in hopelessness. Anytime you find yourself in such situation, you cry out to the light of the world and ask for illumination, ask for understanding. And again, in the gate, like I said, it talks about provision. In the good shepherd, it talks about protection, divine protection, divine guidance, Jehovah Shama, the Lord that is always present when we need him. So when he came to John 15, it was a different narrative. He was telling them about who he is to them. But in John 15, he said something about who he is to them and what is expected of them. None of the other I ams placed a demand on them. They just needed to believe. They just needed to to believe him and walk in the light of the world, in the light of life. They just needed to believe him and come into the gate and go out and find pasture. But in John 15, he said, I am the true vine, verse 1. And uh, my father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 2, he said, Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, my father takes away. So there is an expectation in the branch to bear fruit. Can you put up John 15, 16 for me, please? John 15, 16. There is an expectation for the branch to bear fruit. So Jesus, after speaking to them about being the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life and the gate, the good shepherd, after telling them that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's read what he said after he now said to them that I am the vine, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch that does not bear fruit, my father takes away. Any one that bears fruit, my father prunes so that it can bear more fruit in verse 2. Let's read verse 16 together. He said what? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. You see, before you jump to where we always go, That Lord, your word says, whatever I ask the Father in your name, you will give to me. You need to read from the first part. It is not just about a declaration to place a demand and say, in the name of Jesus, I claim it, I grab it, I take it away. (laughs) That is radicalism of the Pentecostals of the modern day. They just name it and claim it and grab it and go away. They They don't look at the fact that they are appointed to go and bear fruit. They don't even know what that means. But they will claim a a, a Lamborghini. (laughs) They will claim a Ferrari. (laughs) Irresponsibility of the highest order. (laughs) Jesus said, look, you did not choose me. (laughs) I chose you. For what? To come and be looking at my face? No. I chose you and appointed you. There are two things. Choosing is selection. Appointment is a mandate. Appointment is responsibility. Appointment is a call to do something. When they give you a new contract, if you start a new job, they will call it letter of what? Letter of what? Letter of selection? Letter of employment or letter of or contract of appointment. Appointment. Yeah? Of engagement. Appointment, engagement, employment, they are the same thing. It means do something and you'll be rewarded for it. That is why you don't You don't go to your employer at June. This is June June 3rd now. July 3rd, thank you. July 3rd. You don't go to your employer tomorrow, July 4th, and say, now I'm praying that at at July 31, my salary will be paid. Do you do that? You say, I claim my salary in July 31 now, in the name of Jesus, I'm claiming my salary. No, 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 you just get on with the job. (laughs) That thing that was written in your letter of appointment, go and be doing it. When it is reaches July 31, something enters your account because you are doing what was in the appointment. If you don't do it, they will say, can we have a word? <laughs> we need to have a word. We have noticed for the past eight weeks that... <laughs> Let's have a chat, that's the word. <laughs> Let's have a quick chat. <laughs> so, believers must understand, it is not a legalistic thing to say that we are called to work. We are called to serve. He said, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. When we get to the part of the series where we will look at bearing fruit, we will understand the different types of fruit that Jesus himself talked about that we should be bearing. But the truth is, he said, I am the true vine. You see, this word vine, when I was young, I thought a vine was a very big, strong tree. That's how I used to picture it until I did some research and I found that a vine was a very, very woody, climbing tree. This kind of, you know, what we call creeping plants. It is, that bears grapes, very, very thin stem, but has its way of navigating around objects and you know climb winds itself around trees, can climb walls and so on. That's what the vine is. He said, I am the true one, the one that can reach anywhere, any demographic, any kind of person, Jews, Gentiles. I am not rigid in one direction. I can reach anyone, anywhere who needs me to be a branch. So he is a true vine, the one that is given for all. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So when we look at this, Jesus calls himself the true vine, and the father the vine dresser. If we take a step back, you see, God had always called his people the vine, his vineyard, or his vineyard. His people, Israel as a nation, in the Old Testament, several references, prophets like uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all talked about God's vine or vineyard, talking about the nation of Israel. The eternal redemption of mankind could not be carried out. Israel was a type of Christ, coming uh, to be the, the symbol of the kingdom of God, rather, Israel was a type of the symbol of the kingdom of God that was like a standard in the Old Testament. But as Israel, the nation, continued to go a and continued to reject Christ, it became obvious that they could not be the eternal solution for the atonement of mankind. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7, He said, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plan. He looked for justice. Behold, oppression. He said he looked for righteousness, but behold what? A cry for help. They never measured up. He looked, he said this is the vineyard of the Lord of hosts. is the house of Israel. The men of Judah, they are a pleasant plant, But he looked for justice in them. He never found it. He looked for righteousness in them. He never found it. No wonder when Jesus came, he prophesied, the psalmist prophesied about him. He said, oh, your throne, oh God, is forever. The scepter of your kingdom is the right scepter. You love righteousness and hate wickedness or injustice. That is the true vine. The Christ that we serve is the true vine. And every one of us who is born again, who has accepted him, must understand... That we are branches of this true vine. In Psalm chapter 80 verse 7. He said restore when the people saw that God was deserting them. Restore to us O God of hosts cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Verse 8. You have brought a vine out of where? Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared, verse 9, room for it and caused it to take dupe root and it filled the land. You have done what you should do, what you should have done for this vine. And God was not pleased with them because they went, as I said, a whoring. But look at their prayer in verse 14. They said, return, we beseech you, O God of hosts, verse 14, Psalm 80, verse 14. We beseech you, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and visit this vine. Verse 15, and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself. Look at it, verse 16. He said, it burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. That was the end of that mandate on Israel being the vineyard of God. Just like Jesus said in John 15, verse 2. He said, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, my father will do what? take it down and burn it. He said, look, our vineyard is burnt with fire. And that was the pointing to the coming of the true vine. That an end has come to that old dispensation that could not fulfill all righteousness. And the true vine was now going to be the symbol and the hope for mankind. So when Jesus came and said, I am, he didn't just say, I am the vine. He said, I am what? The true vine. Everywhere in the Bible, even right up to Hebrews, makes us to understand that he is the perfect high priest. He was not in the order of all the priests like Eli and all the priests that were in the Old Testament. No, he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the perfect one. So every one of us must, so because when we come and we say, oh, Jesus said I'm the true vine, we are the branches, we need to understand What are we connected to? Who are we connected to? Who is this branch? Who is this vine? Who is this true vine? And how are we branches of him? Why do we need to understand Jesus Christ in all these declarations of who he is? I've looked and thought deeply about how best to explain this. Why is it good to know the names of God? Why is it good to know particularly the seven I am's that Jesus referred to himself as? What benefit is that? You see, the Bible says, and you shall, John 8:32, and you shall what? Know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Shall set you free, make you free. The truth. It is important to know the truth as he wants us to know him. I will use this example of myself, and I pray you have understanding. I just want to use it as an example. It's nothing else other than that. That to just try and drive home this uh, 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 point. If I pick my phone right now from my contact list and I scroll through, I can give you five names. Five names. Somebody say five names. names. That I can challenge you to call them and ask them that how do they know me? And within that, that they should just tell you in five seconds, how do you know David Oloke? What will come out of their mouth in five seconds will be different. Each one. I can tell you, just to try and make you see how important it is to study and know the person of Christ in total. The first person may be a family member who knows me only as an uncle, a cousin. I can give you, I have them, uncle, that will know me as uncle, cousin, and that's all they know me as. No relationship other than the fact that we're family. That's the first thing. They have an idea that there are other things that I am to people, and in my own manifestation as a person, but they don't particularly relate with those things, so it doesn't really mean much. The first thing that will come out, oh, he's my uncle. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, there are certain people also. The second person may tell you immediately, oh, he was my teacher. He's my teacher. I've known him as an academic for 10 years, 15 years. That's the first thing that will come out of it, because that that was the connection point, and that was what they knew, and that is what they probably still know about me till today. Of course, the world of social media makes things a bit different now. But maybe they have never even understood that there were other aspects of me. So that person will immediately tell you, oh, he's he's an academic, he was my lecturer, and so on. A third person will tell you, oh, I know him as my consultant, he did this project, or we worked together, or this is what he does, and they don't know any other thing. All they know is that I'm a consulting engineer, and I've worked with them for 10 years, 15 years, 12 years, whatever. That's the first thing that will come out of their mouth. That is the, 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 the um, third person. Now, if you call a fourth person, that person has a relationship with me, usually like one of you here. All they know is what they see me do here on a Sunday and the relationship in the week is that of a pastor, that of somebody who relates from that perspective. So if you ask them, who is David O'Lock? You say, oh, he's my pastor or he's a pastor. That is what they know and that is what will be instant in in their thoughts and disposition. I've given you four now, four people. Now the fifth person is the very rare one, the very rare one who... I am praying that we be like, in this, my illustration, in in terms of knowing Jesus. They are family, blood, biological family to me. I am pastor to them, or they know me as a pastor. I do my consulting engineering business with them. I have also had privilege. I have people like that. I have somebody like that that I can give you almost immediately that I have also input into their academic, not just paying for their fees. I have been part of the academic development as a teacher to them. And then they also know me, obviously, as family, like I said, and they know me as pastor. They know me in those four areas. What I'm trying to say here is that that person, if you are to ask who will be able to make In just theoretically who will be able to make the most of the relationship they can have with me number one two three four or number five Five. obviously number five the one who knows the holistic person this is why jesus took time to tell them one after the other i am this i am this because they were just following him Fishermen, you know, people ignorant. They were not well-read. They were not refined people. All they were doing is following. Today, oh, miracle of bread. Today, we are casting demons. He was telling them, you don't just need to keep looking at these signs. You need to know me in a different way so that after I have gone, you will remember that there is a relationship I have with you that sorts out a lot of the things that you should not be concerned about. This is why... Knowing him as the true vine helps us to remember that he is the true vine that we are connected to. Hence, Jesus came through the merciful act of the Father after Israel failed and through him two things. Number one, write this down. We obtain true and eternal salvation. Through Christ, we obtain true and eternal salvation. I use the word true and eternal because I want to emphasize the fact that salvation, which includes new birth, healing, and deliverance, everything that shows the totality of the emancipation of God's children from the land of Egypt to the promised land, everything that demonstrated to them that he he had a plan for their lives to go and serve him in a new land, not in a land of bondage, in a land of torment that they were living in Egypt. Jesus Christ is the one who rescues us today from the dominion of darkness, the battering of Satan, the wickedness of the evil in the land, the wickedness of the modern times. So he is the true one who rescues us, not just to free us, but to give us assurance of eternal salvation so that one day We will be with him again just like he has promised. Acts chapter 4 is a very interesting story when Peter and John had just, you know, set that man free in Gate Beautiful that we talk about a lot in Acts 3. Now they were very furious with them that he was healed on the Sabbath and the people were not happy with Peter and John and so on. And they wanted to know in what name. In Acts chapter 4 verse 6. He said, and when they had set them in their midst, they brought them to question them. By what power or by what name have you, sorry, as well as Ananias, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were with the family of this. Let's go verse 7, please. Thank you. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Verse 8. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people of the elders of Israel. Scroll through very quickly, verse 9. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he had been made well? Verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, Whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man, stands here before you whole. Now, this was just to emphasize the fact of his crucifixion and resurrection. Because those were the things that activated the name of Jesus Christ as the name above all names. Every other person bearing Jesus in that time could not have been the savior. Jesus was not the only Jesus. I hope you know that Till today there are many Jesuses that are called all over the place joshua jesus they're the same thing but the reality is that he said peter made the emphasis and he said to them let him be known verse 10 again the one that was crucified whom you crucified whom god raised from the dead emphasis crucifixion by man raised by god crucified by man but raised by god because that very act made it possible for him to be the ultimate sacrifice that now paved the way for eternal salvation. He said it is by him, by him, that very one that resurrected, by him, that this man stands before you. Let's keep reading verse 11. He said, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become. Somebody say it has become. It has become the chief cornerstone. And then let's read verse 12 together. Everybody, let's shout it out. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So the salvation through Jesus is not a negotiation. It is not one that is up for choices. It is not one that is open to debate. Peter said this is the salvation. That there is It is in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except the name Jesus. That is why, when he said to the same man, he said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It was this understanding he had. I am quoting the name of the one who was crucified, who was raised. And the power that is given to him in that name, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. The power, and to verse 10, the power that is given to him in that name is what makes it work. The Bible says, wherefore, because he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. He said, wherefore, God had highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue must confess that Jesus is Lord. So this true vine is, not, is no ordinary vine. It's no ordinary vine. This is why we must understand that if we are truly branches connected to him, we cannot be ordinary willy-nilly people. We cannot be. We must be people who tap into the resources of this, new, new, this true vine. We must be people who anchor ourselves continually. To ensure that we are bearing fruit and bearing the right fruit. Friends, we are in a world that is very, very open to a lot of harshness like never before. This is not to scare among, God forbid. But we have to face the realities. I'm 53 years old in two weeks' time, by the grace of God, God's bearing my life. I can tell you in five decades: yes, let's thank God, God is faithful. <laughs> I know I look 35, but that is my real age. (laughs) Hallelujah. In five decades of life, I have heard things are tough. Things are tough. My grandfather said things are tough. Things are really tough. My father said things are tough. Things are really tough. I can tell you things have never been easy. But they have never been this tough. That is the truth. Oh, people say the wars were worse, and this and that. We have had pandemics in the last two years in the scale that has never been witnessed in modern history. Maybe it happened at a time when we, we were not yet existent and we could not have had those records, but not even the bubonic plagues of the early 1900s could compare to what we witnessed in the last three years. We are now into an economic phase that is throwing governments into a lot of confusion. And making things more and more difficult and challenging for the people. Every believer must understand that the the stronghold attempt of Egypt. That was keeping people, trying to keep people in bondage. Keep people in labor. Keep people in pain. Keep people pursued. Even after they have been delivered from Egypt. Keep them pursued to the Red Sea. Try to consume them. is still the same spirit that is at work today. Every one believer is the hope of the world. Before Jesus left, one of the I am's in John chapter 8 verse 12 is that I am the light of the world. I am a city set on a hill that cannot be... He said, anyone that comes after me, sorry, that even though he was in darkness, he shall have the light of life. But when he was living, he said to them, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So these branches, we will talk about being branches next week... But we must understand that we remain the hope. He said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you, is risen upon me. He said, Darkness will cover the earth, grows darkness the people. I'm not talking about the kind of darkness that covers some countries that refuse to do their electricity supply very well. I'm talking about real darkness, difficulties, weeping, gnashing of teeth. difficult situations should we be worried no John chapter 14 verse 1 he said let not your heart be troubled we should not be worried we should just remember that we are branches connected to the true vine the one that was unstoppable when he was here on the face of the earth with us so we obtain true and eternal salvation through him like that man at gate beautiful we rise up with power, we rise up and we jump and rejoice in the place and situations that was looking hopeless. The Bible says they saw that man and they recognized that it was him who used to sit down begging. God will continue to change and change and change and transform your stories Amen. in the name of Jesus. Amen. Number two, the very life of God flows to us as the branches. Jesus was given us the true vine so that we can connect to the very life of God that flows from him to us. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. He said, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Number seven, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Verse 8. He said, beware. I want to make some emphasis on verse 8, please. Beware, lest anyone, in fact, let's read it together, everybody, let's go. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. Are not according to Christ. You are a branch connected to the true vine, but you will be open to these four elements. Somebody say philosophy, Philosophy. empty deceit, deceit. traditions of men, basic principles of this world. Another name for them is Scientologists. (laughs) They will tell you all you need is science, basic principles. You jump up, you come down. Law of gravity. That's all you need to know. And it's true. When you, two, you jump up, you come down. You say, that is very true, you know. <laughs> you say, it's real. They are called the basic principles of this world. Somebody say philosophy. philosophy. Say empty deceit. empty deceit. These are the people who will put on a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They do fake miracles and stage things. They say in the name of Jesus. They look like it. They look like church, but it is empty deceit. They collect your money in the name of making miracles happen. It's empty deceit. They manipulate people, take their wives, take their husbands. Because it happens both kids. I've seen where they've taken somebody's husband as well. <laughs> they take their wives, take their husbands, abuse their children. Manipulating them, empty deceit. He said, Beware, you are a branch connected to the true vine. You should not fall for those things. You and I have a responsibility to remain connected to the true vine because philosophy will continue to grow. I have a doctorate of philosophy and I have colleagues here who we've worked together. They also have their doctorate and some that are in other places. Many people have doctors of philosophy. We all know what it is. Philosophy is a horizontal process. I take a process. I tell you that there is a problem and I want to solve it you believe me that there is a problem (laughs) as long as I can convince you that there is a problem I have created a thesis for myself I know my colleagues will not like me for saying this (laughs) as long as I can stand before 100 people and convince them that we have a problem here and they say yeah then I have started my PhD (laughs) at the end of the day I will solve a problem that probably did not exist (laughs) And they will say, wow, doctor. <laughs> doctor. Now, I'm not trivializing PhD. It is a very difficult degree to get. I have produced 26 of them by the grace of God after my own. Hallelujah. That is why my hair is turning gray. It is a very difficult thing. You walk with those people at times, you are reading the thing. It makes your hair, when you wake up in the morning, oh, half of it has turned gray. <laughs> it's a very tough thing to do. But the reality is that philosophy... It's really just sense knowledge, trading of human senses about life principles, a question and answer. So we have what we call research questions. We generate them and then we we do things that we believe because they have been established by other philosophies that when you do those things, you can answer those questions and then at the end of the day, we come out and say, I have done this one, I have done that one, now there is the solution. They say, okay, defend it. And as long as you can tell them that is the solution they'll say well done congratulations doctor somebody now a lot of people are being convinced that that is enough that is all we need how foolish man can be how foolish man can be i like flying a lot i've been flying since i was nine years old i've flown since 1978 i enjoy flying people i wonder when they say they don't like flying it's one of the most beautiful experiences. <laughs> you come off the ground, it's beautiful. I like it. I always say that thing that makes the plane put up its nose and then the last set of wheels leave the ground always tell me something every time that nothing is impossible. Every flight, the moment I feel that lifting off the ground, I say to myself, nothing is impossible because gravity said that is not possible, you see. <laughs> But aerodynamics say, no, I can conquer you if I go fast enough and I put the law of lift in place. Let me not go into those. I like it a lot. (laughs) But the reality is this. Those laws are things that have now been finding their way, creeping their way into the discourse about Christ. And in some cases, those philosophies are putting up arguments about the reality of christ the history of christ the genealogy of christ the history of the nation of israel the relevance of israel and the context of who it is today and so on and so forth and those things are becoming arguments that are now rising and confusing a lot of people and it is not according to christ put back colossians please colossians colossians 2 8 it is not according to christ if it does not agree with what Christ said, it is only a philosophy and empty deceit. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. I want to sound this note of warning because there is a lot that is going on now debunking the very, very foundations of the Christian faith. Every one of us must know Christ for ourselves. You cannot convince a the branch of a uh, an apple tree that is on an apple tree, you cannot go there and convince it that it's not part of that branch. You just try and hold it and pull it. It will resist with all its its power until you are able to overpower it and pull it down. It never, no branch of any tree succumbs very easily. Have you seen some shrubs going around your house and you are not happy and you just said, "Let me just pull this thing." And suddenly you hold it, as you pull it, it's pulling you back. <laughs> Have you seen such kind of things? They are so tiny, they look small, but they are that strong. How much more you that you are a branch in Christ, the true vine? The Bible says if it is not according to Christ, don't let anyone cheat you. The, satan, the satanic strategy of, the, of our day and age is to cheat people through philosophy. Someone say philosophy. Empty deceit. The tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world. Say basic principles of the world. It is very important we understand that. Tradition, I don't want to go into. Traditions of men have caused confusion long enough that we should understand where to separate tradition. Now, we cannot, we live by tradition. We live in cultures. But we must understand where the word of God is supreme over tradition. We must understand it and put it in place every time. So we must not be deceived we must not be deceived mammon is another source of deceit money somebody say money. money matthew chapter 6 verse 24 jesus says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other matthew 6:24 or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other you cannot cannot you cannot serve god and mammon mammon has crept into the church today and the body of christ must fight it does it mean we should reject money there are two extremes of the operations of mammon since i have lived through life studying church and looked at church history as well is either a total rejection of money to impoverish the church so that it cannot do anything it becomes a pauper you hear phrases like as poor as what church rat it came from that kind of tradition where the church is always begging and hungry and always looking in in shambles that is not of god that is a demonic thing but then there is the other extreme whereby mammon now governs the church rather than christ money drives people are anointed into offices and given titles in church because of the kind of money they bring in do you understand that kind of thing that is an operation of mammon. Pastors can no longer preach messages freely because there are certain members that are untouchables. Somebody say untouchables. Because if they threaten that they will leave, the pastor will, the, the church will fold up. <laughs> so the pastor wants to say something. He say, and the Bible says, ah, eh, eh, oh, okay, when he sees them. <laughs> let, let, let's go to the next point. You know that man, there was a man in my country. They asked him for a website. He said it is www.that's <coughs> That's it. <laughs> Some years back, he didn't know the website and they put him on the spotlight. They say, Where is the website of this organization? He said, I know it. They say, okay, tell us. He said it is WW. He didn't even put the third one. He said it is WW dot <coughs> Yeah. That's that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Nothing more to say. So they turn preachers into that. He's saying something, but then he sees a brother and that brother looks at If you say it, I know I'm sleeping I know I'm sleeping with the, the in somebody's wife. But if you say anything like that, you'll see. Then the pastor will say, "Yeah," Because the man is putting some money in the offering plate that is helping the church to grow. May God deliver the body of Christ from that spirit. In the name of Jesus. May such people continually be put to shame. Because they are trying to make a ridicule of the body of Christ. Some of those pastors, it is out of ignorance. I'm not saying it to mock them. Some of them is out of ignorance. They find themselves in such situations. They are not being greedy. It's just because they cannot see the way out. That So those people have such a stronghold. So they are controlled. It is the spirit of mammon. And may God deliver such great men and women of God that truly mean to do well in the name of Jesus. So we must not be deceived by the emptiness in mammon. My prayer for every pastor under the sound of my voice and every pastor that is on this planet doing this work sincerely is that as God told Pete, as Paul said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 20 verse 32 that God empowered his hands and he was able to meet all his needs and the needs of those around him. I pray that it shall be the portion of everyone truly called of God into the mission field in Jesus name. And that does not only refer to pastors, it also refers to everyone who is serving. God will empower your hands. I say God will empower your hands for the work in the name of Jesus. The second thing is that we must not allow to be deceived by drunkenness, worldly pleasures, and frivolities. Ephesians 5.18 says do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. The word dissipation there means orgies. It means that you get involved into things that you do uncontrollably. You lose self-control as being influenced by the spirit in wine. It said, do not be drunk with wine. But in which dissipation? There is dissipation. Everyone must understand that it is the spirit of God that will help us to be rooted and connected to the true vine. We should not allow ourselves to be carried away. Many people are looking for pleasure today in the wrong places, in the wrong things, looking for excitement, looking for the highs. But in Christ, the branch, we have everything. I say we have everything. Because Romans fourteen seventeen says, this kingdom is not in meat and drink. It's not in drinking wine. It's not in making those things that will want to give you a high. He said, but it is in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is why he said, be filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. I conclude with these words. I mean, we can go on to look at things that are trying to take the place of the true vine today. It's not just money, not just the things to do with drunkenness and those kind of frivolities, worldly pleasures, but other things, even our jobs, our careers, even worldly assets. Many people put their trust in those things much more. Remember that rich young ruler? The Bible says he walked away from Jesus, the true vine, because he had great possessions many people with great possessions today are not remaining branches because they are putting their trust in those things that will perish no matter how beautiful your house is no matter how wonderful your car is no matter how how flamboyant even if you have a plane every one of those things in this life will perish they are just metals and wood and materials that have come from the earth just like your physical body has come from the and they will all go back to the earth hallelujah they are just stuff somebody say stuff (laughs) hallelujah so don't labor for those things as you are laboring for the things of the kingdom god will give you those things that you will use to help you do the work much more but don't make them your focus hallelujah in the name of jesus I conclude with John 14. Thomas asked him, Lord, verse 5, would you not know where you are going? And how can we know the way? Everybody, verse 6, we have quoted it before, let's read it again. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the lie. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is all we need to be reminding ourselves. Friends, It's either you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. There is no half Christian. It's either you're a child of God, bound for heaven, ready for the rapture, or you are somebody who is just guessing. It makes a lot of sense to be sure, to be ready. I want to live as long as God gives me life to live in this earth but I don't want to take it for granted. He can call me home anytime. In fact, the fact that, the only fact I think of the loved ones on earth that would share some momentary pain is the only thing that kind of gives me that push. I've seen heaven since I was five years old. I've seen an indication of heaven since I was five years old. And I knew very clearly that there is no place that can ever be compared to it. Let us do everything we can to treasure the true vine that we have. Next week when we deal with being the branches, we will talk more on these things, but the reality is we cannot be effective branches if we don't understand the place of the true vine. The true vine left for us a symbol of something we need to be doing to remind ourselves of him. He said we should do it often. The Bible says on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he lifted up the cup and he said, this is my body broken for you. And this is the cup of the new covenant. He said, drink ye all of it. And then do it always. Eat of it and drink of it always. In remembrance of me. So what we do every first Sunday and third Sunday of the month in this church. As a body. You can do anytime in your own houses and homes. Is to keep reminding us that this is why he came. This is why he came. So today we will break. Bring- well. well.